0: I thought this song was good. I didn't think that song was good. You probably never get emails where people complain about things, do you, Jason? Well, it's interesting, you know.
1: You're listening to The Worship Review, a podcast which evaluates contemporary Christian music for the good of the church to the glory of God. This podcast is for the whole church to encourage thoughtful engagement with the words, emotions, and ideas in our music. We hope you enjoy this week's episode.
0: Hello, welcome to another episode of The Worship Review, the podcast that charitably, but also critically evaluates the songs that we all sing in church. This week, we are going to be having another interview episode where we interview a guest, and this week, it is Jason Dorsey, pastor of Redeemer Redmond. And of course, I am Colin, a history professor in the Midwest, and I'm also joined by Tyler a linguist at the same university where I work. Uh, Jason, we're really happy to have you on the podcast, and we just thank you for sitting down and having an interview with us. And I was wondering if the first thing that we can do, our viewers just have your name at this point. Could you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do?
1: For sure. Yeah, it's great to be with you. And um, I am a Presbyterian pastor. I am married to a beautiful... um, wife of almost 30 years now named Jenny. I have four children who are all pretty much out of the house now, uh, two are finishing up college. And I guess as a Presbyterian pastor, I see one is of my core roles as a chief worship leader in the church. So that that's neat. I'm also the artistic director of the sunny shore studio on Camino Island.
0: Okay, can you can you explain a bit more about what that is? I went to the website, but our viewers won't know what that is. So, can you what is uh, Sunny Shore Studio? Yeah,
1: it's a creative studio. Our mission is to share beauty through books, art, and film. So we are engaged in all three of those different um, mediums. Uh, I'm I'm an artist. I, I come from a family of artists. So the studio originally was created to support my family of artists and celebrate five generations of artists and showcase their work. But we've also branched out, we publish books, we've made movies. So yeah, it's a, it's a creative studio.
2: Jason, could you, could you tell us then a little bit about how your faith as a Christian and um, as a pastor informs the art that you produce?
1: Well, you've probably heard this statement before, but Abraham Kuyper said, "There's not a square inch of life that Jesus doesn't say it is mine." So I I really see music and art as integral to uh, my faith. Um, Stephen Garber writes about living a seamless life, so I I try to live a seamless life where my vocation as a father and as a pastor and as an artist as a creative person are seamless Um, another way of putting this is by one of my favorite theologians who i know uh tyler you enjoy dietrich bonhoeffer who talks about christ at the center and i i just try to live a life uh with christ at the at the center and that includes art um
0: so you also mentioned that you see yourself as a chief worship leader at your church. Can you share a little bit about what the phrase worship music means to you? Well,
1: that's, I mean, you, you certainly will know a lot more about that in terms of the, the definition for me, uh, worship music involves um and i'm assuming you mean christian worship music it involves yes, yes. Congreg- <laughs> you know congregational aspect um uh-huh. i think it's a it's fundamentally a congregational um it involves uh, i i believe that from the psalms uh where we see a use of instrumentation i think it typically involves instrumentation it's should be led by a skilled, uh, gifted, passionate worship leader, uh, Mm -hmm. someone that is a musician gifted in that way of singing. Uh, Those would be some of the elements of of worship that would be unique Mm -hmm. uh, in the Christian church.
2: Jason, uh, can I ask a a clarifying question? Because you've said worship leader twice now. The first time you said as a pastor, you consider yourself the chief worship leader or the primary worship leader and uh you also say it should be led by a skilled musician i'm assuming um i'm assuming that's not you right so uh can you disentangle what that means to be a worship leader
1: yeah that's a great question i could tell a story because i think this might uh, might be helpful when i was heading to indianapolis to take my first uh role as a lead pastor there um, there was sort of some conflict over what kind of music this the church would land on no and where they would...
2: conflict yeah. over music yeah there Incredible. was there
1: was a little bit of conflict was just... there was there were some that were pushing for classic uh sounds and hymnody some that were more charismatic some more sort of contemporary christian uh and it was you know a lot in the middle and so i ended up bringing out the the uh the different musicians who were kind of core at the church there were four or five of them that were gifted enough to lead worship and and i brought them to seattle before i moved back and i basically said to them first of all i want you to know that i am the i am the chief worship leader at the church and what i mean by that is that it is fundamental to my role as a pastor to lead god's people in worship to call them into worship, to pray with and for them, to preach the word, to s- serve the sacraments, to oversee and shepherd, you know, the music and all of that. I see that as a critical role of the pastor. And, and so, um, but nevertheless, I can't do it, or I, I personally can. I'm not gifted musically in that way. So, but I wanted to establish that I was sort of the bottom line. I was the one that had the responsibility to oversee and shepherd the church. Now, certainly with the elders and all that uh, in terms of its worship. But then I, I, I said, okay, at the heart of what we, we're going to do here uh, with, under my leadership is the gospel and our relationships in the gospel is by far the most important thing. And so what I'm doing now is I'm setting the values that we're going to, these are the things we're going to value, we're going to value our relationships in the gospel. And then I said, I want you to also create indigenous music or worship, I want the I want worship that will sound like it's not completely foreign to Indianapolis, you know, in 2002, somehow it needs to have an indigenous sound, what is center city, you know, what is the music, the sound of Indy? And I said, if you think of the hubs of the spokes, if one being indigenous, another being, um, evangelistic, that our worship should not have barriers to unbelievers, uh, who mm-hmm. might come into our worship so that it should be accessible and it should be something that they can in some ways relate to. And then I said, it should be Catholic in time and space that, uh, we should be tapping into the riches of the church in terms of its hymnody and its, from present day all the way back to the earliest days of God's people singing, and then finally I said it should be growing in excellence. So if you think of four hubs, you have at the heart, at the center of the wheel, you have the gospel and relationship, then you have indigenous, you know, uh, evangelistic catholic and excellent as the four folks and then i gave Mm -hmm. each of the music leaders a sunday to lead (laughs) and what happened was i said now you lead and here's some of the parameters you know work with me on you know what you're what you're thinking about in terms of the song but i pretty much gave them freedom and then Mm -hmm. each of them built their teams and so one sunday it was a kind of a it could sound jazzy one Sunday it could be very classical another Sunday it was more contemporary and i mean we really had it i think the congregation that after that first year kind of broke them up there uh maybe a right a music righteousness like this is the right way to do it it wasn't a long term yeah you know the yeah. best thing to do but anyway eventually we hired a worship director music director who would Bring a center to all of that, but all of that to say, I saw my role as taking the lead in that, and then empowering and delegating the music musicians, chief musicians, wh- whatever you want to call them, to do their work.
0: Hmm. If I could ask a follow up on that, so from the beginning, you really emphasized your role, and I presume that's not because of some arbitrary reason. You didn't just say, "All right, I'm going to be the person." This must. Go to some principle that you have, some idea that it really should be the pastor's role. Could you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, that's well, I have a perspective, uh, you know, perspective on leadership that includes Christ as prophet, priest, and king. And when you see Christ ministering as the ultimate king, the ultimate prophet, the ultimate priest in and through us. But then you look back into history at the different offices. You have the office of, you know, the role of king, and you see David establishing a whole uh, branch of the government for worship, right? So that mm-hmm. the administrative and the and the money for that, and the leadership role that David took as king, and then you have the priestly, the you know the um, the whole sacrificial system and the uh, and the priest role in worship was really significant. And certainly the prophets were calling God's people back to God, to pure worship. And, and so if you think about leadership in those historic terms, you, you see that as a leader, as a prophet, priest, and king, as Christ ministers through you as a, as a pastor, you really need to be the chief worship leader in your congregation. Mm.
2: Can you mm. explain a little bit more how that worked in practice? So were there times where you had to say, hey, look, we can't sing this song, or where you said, hey, look, we have to sing this song, or um, if if you had this kind of four-spoke system, like your music is uh, evangelistic, indigenous, and Catholic, but it's lacking in excellence? You know, I think that might be something that's kind <laughs> of relatable. Uh, did, did you ever have, like, uh, it's it's I guess it's easy to say, you know, I'm the baseline, but what does that mean in practice?
1: Well, that's a great question, Tyler. I happen to believe that spending money in the area of worship is is a critical and important decision uh for a church to make if they're able, I think that you can argue that that is the first place to to really spend some significant money so um we I happen to be able to hire a worship pastor or director, i guess you music director whatever. Who I had known in Seattle as an intern. So our first, my first hire at Redeemer after a year or two in in there uh, was Bruce Benedict, who now is very involved in Cartaphonia and all this other uh, other things with worship. But he was um, he was our first. So in a way, you could say hiring excellent, gifted chief musicians, you know, to to lead is important. But then, of course, there is sort of how do you how do you move continue to move in the direction you want to be because if you have a view of worship as you're never arrived it's not like you you sing the right songs and somehow you're you've arrived but if you view it more from a centered versus a bounded set you are always moving worship is always can always be more than it is it's not quite the worship of heaven yet and so Then that is all about the supervision, delegation, partnership with the team. Sometime, yes, there may have to be, well, maybe that song wasn't a good choice, or, you know, there's all of those details that come into play. But fundamentally for me, it's been hiring gifted, passionate, Mm -hmm. experienced, you know, musicians who can really move the ball forward.
2: You mentioned in your Wheel model that the gospel was at the center. And I'm curious, how do you keep the gospel at the center of the music ministry of a church?
1: That's a great question. And it's the gospel in relationship. And so, what does it mean for me to model um being approachable when the congregation member is doesn't like what's happening? um in modeling that for my worship director there it it plays out in so many ways um it plays out in um me telling them up front I don't care if you have the most excellent music but if your worship if if your relationships are horrible and you're not walking in forgiveness and you know staying in relationship and challenging each other but being not being defensive and all of those things I don't care so basically I had to set that value and then reinforce it by my own actions for it to begin to take place. And I think it really did.
0: In your opinion, what role does music play in the worship of God? Yeah, wow. Well, I believe that worship, in a sense,
1: connects a believer or even a a seeker, opens up their heart in a way that words, uh, preach words or liturgical words can't the singing of songs uh can open up a heart in matter of fact just the other day i went for a a hike with um a number of uh our our church went for a hike and a number of uh, friends that i'm playing pickleball with joined and a couple of them are, are chinese gals that are not believers but one of them was saying how she had Come to church and listen she couldn't understand the sermon but she had memorized one of the songs and she was singing it over and over to me and uh, it was a catchy tune and and something you would recognize and she was singing it because it had touched and moved her heart and i think that's what music does another thing that um one of my favorite worship leaders is a guy that i work with for many years named nathan partain and we talked about his music being prophetic, prophetic music. It's music that can really say something in a powerful way that gets you to see it or feel it in a new way. And um, I I still use phrases uh, from Nathan's songs in my sermons, like he kicked the hornet's nest, you know, like, man, Jesus went to uh, Jerusalem and came into the temple and threw over all of the money changers tables that's a pretty cool story in and of itself. But when you say he kicked the hornet's nest and picked a fight with death, man, that stirs my heart, you know? So I think that's what music does, worship does.
0: So the Psalms. So uh, if, if, do you see the Psalms as kind of a, a model or a, a way that we can get some guidance on worship music? Are there, Are we just sort of left to imagine what good worship might be or not? What's, what, what do you think those psalms play in, in worship?
1: Yeah, well, I think the psalms, I personally think the psalms provide us a middle way. Okay. I, I, I have value and appreciate congregations that sing psalms only and maybe even don't use instruments because I value those convictions. And boy, you can't really go wrong with just singing the psalms.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, But I also understand that there is freedom and liberty for churches to make songs and hymns and sing praise to God in their own words and so on. So what I believe the Psalms and and really the, I guess you you could say a, a paper that I've written, the only paper that I've written on worship is titled Psalms is Pattern. Mm-hmm. Because I think what you have in the Psalms are a number of patterns for worship that basically base base our worship in good biblical theology mm-hmm. and, and give us um, some patterns that we need to be following. So Psalms can be patterns or a model for our worship in the church. Um,
0: can I guess I ask also then, which is, I guess, the antithesis of that question, you talked about... Music as having a kind of uh, power that it opens our heart to God. And we also talked about the importance of the Psalms as kind of being a pattern. Are there ways in which worship music could also be, or maybe where I don't want to say maybe bad worship music, or are, are there dangers as well that accompany worship music, or maybe worship music when it goes wrong? Are there a pastor preaching a wrong word that, that, Carries problems with it, but are there unique sets of problems that come with errors or um, misunderstandings or misappropriations in church music?
1: Yeah, well, most definitely there are. And one of those, one of the big ones today, I believe, is the lack of the lament and the, the uh, songs of grieving and mourning. And uh, another one of them, even though I do believe that each of the books of the Psalms ends in praise, and so the chief note in our worship should be praise, uh, our worship has to reflect the fact that our theology is cruciform, and that we uh, the, the cross alone, as Luther put it, is our theology. And so you can uh, you can really um, uh, create emotions and and even false beliefs or um, false, uh, you know, perspectives on reality by by, you know, hymns that are, are not um, are not following some of those core or, or let me put it this way. I don't think one song or one hymn is going to do that much damage but what is the body of work what is the overarching uh what what does the worship of this church uh cultivate and i think that's where you you get problematic
2: jason when we talk about worship music what are some characteristics of worship music that strike you as interesting or perplexing or maybe just odd
1: yeah well i think that i probably have a more generous and open Approach the music than some of my colleagues and and um and so i i I can appreciate you know um I can appreciate probably more music and and feel comfortable with more than um many would so what what I find is odd or what what i think what I see today happening is I see that there is a lessening of the value of congregational singing and participation, and more of a uh, you know concert or um, something that's done more for the people to really enjoy and and feel moved by, and less uh, really engaging in, and mm-hmm. um, and maybe a gold standard for me is when i go to presbytery now there's a lot about presbytery that i'm not thrilled about and kind of gets on my nerves but in worship when you have these uh you know suffering pastors and their wives and who have gone through the fire and and uh, have given their lives to the gospel uh, and when you hear them sing there's something that is magic and electric and powerful in a way that you can't reproduce even at the most amazing, you know, uh, with the most amazing sound system and most gifted, uh, worshipers, because what you have there is people that are singing songs from the depth of their heart. They really believe them. They really have lived them. So when you, when you look at that as kind of the gold standard, then I think, yeah, Tyler, there's things that boy, that, you know this song or this lyric or this this way they've presented it i guess is uh leaves things to be lacking but i'm not sure i can give you a lot of particulars there
2: i i appreciate that uh explanation what would you do if a song didn't just didn't merely phrase something poorly but actually had some some really really problematic um theology in it like i, I guess for a, maybe an easy but um exaggerated example some kind of denial of the trinity or a hint of a denial at the trinity um what what would you do in that case
1: yeah yeah well that's a that has that certainly happened and when i came to redeemer here in redmond um early on i had a worship leader and then he had some uh some musicians that were also leading on different Sundays. And I never really got super clear on who who liked some of the Bethel uh, songs, but there was one, I think, about the Holy Spirit. And I just felt like, boy, this is not very, very good theology. This is actually, you know, oh, it's not, it's not so bad that I'm going to go up and stop it. And so that, Tyler, is where you as a worship leader have to make split-second decisions. You know, like what things need to be corrected right then? Where do you, how do you guide and steer if you're moving towards something? And and I think, Tyler, yes, if there is heresy or if there is, a, you know, words that are, are you know, clearly against the truth of God, then I think, yeah, you may need to actually make a, a big deal of it other ways other times uh you can more gently correct and 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 that's what i i tend to tend to do the more gentle correction because i'm looking at this as a long term um you know moving in a direction rather than you got to get it right every time um which is really hard to do because then you're really policing things and you have developed a a view of worship that's I don't know. It's just the bounded set of worship. These songs are in, these songs are out can, can really even sometimes rule out songs that could be sung well and, and with profit.
2: You mentioned, um, feeling like you should say something in that moment or feeling like you should intervene. I'm just curious about how the story continues. Did you, did you stand up and and raise your hands and say everybody stop or what did you do
1: (laughs) no no i haven't i have never felt the need to do that with with any uh any songs that were chosen um but interestingly enough there were times when i would be asked about art that was shown at the harrison center and there was some there was some art you know that and we never made a rule like you couldn't have nude art but we did Say we are a community center with uh, a church here, and it has to be appropriate. So there were times when before, um, before the you know service or something, that art was asked to be removed. So I have I haven't had to do that with music though, mm-hmm. Tyler.
2: So can I ask you, as a pastor, is it the pastor's worst nightmare to have someone like me or Colin in the church who's like uh, picking at every single word that's sung? And uh, taking issue if something hints in the wrong direction. If it's <laughs> <laughs>
0: sending you an email every week, hey, I thought this song was good. I didn't think that song was good. You probably never get emails where people complain about things, do you, Jason? Well,
1: it's interesting, you know, not too much with music. And and I do appreciate when people value something enough to to care and to say something and to actually have an opinion, especially when they can do it with grace. As a pastor, you need to learn how to hear um, rebukes and challenges that are really far off, but there may be some truth in them. And so I hope over time I've I've cultivated that kind of heart. But I think, Tyler, that what I'm passionate about is being theologically driven. And so if, if people have a good point theologically, and if they're making a case that I see their point and maybe I I need to change my view. I want to be teachable and humble enough to to um, hear them and hear them out and and maybe even change. We did have we did have an individual that was very concerned about the the um, uh, the sound and how loud it was. And and that can be another, you know, uh, very it's very uh, sensitive subject when uh, when you have to navigate the sound and the the, um, you know, all of that. So there's all kinds of things that you end up having to navigate through, but you, I would love to have you in my church, both of you. I, If you move out to this area, man, I will take, I will take you. Uh, that's how
2: desperate I am. <laughs> I would love that too.
1: <laughs>
2: Jason, do you have any questions for us um, as we come to a close on this interview?
1: Well, I, I'm just really interested in what, what, passions and drive you in in this podcast and what is what what you care about in this.
2: Well I think yeah, I think it's something similar to what you mentioned earlier about a real desire for um the gospel to be at the heart of the music and also a concern for truth. Um God is truth and is the source of all truth. And so um if I see something I, I, I'll speak maybe from experience as as someone who was leading the music in churches, um, it started to kind of grind against my conscience if I was singing something that I didn't believe with my whole heart was true. Does that make sense? So um it, yeah. it, it, it started with a kind of prick of the conscience and then um kind of thinking about what that was that made me kind of grind against certain words, and then talking about it with other Christians. And finding out that maybe it, it, you know, wasn't, uh, maybe it, maybe it was in my head, but then maybe sometimes I had a point. And then finally deciding, hey, if there's enough people that, you know, think that this is a legitimate concern, maybe it's time to start producing something, uh, publicly like a podcast or a blog or something that can put this in concise format. Because, uh, you, I think I want to see the discourse around the texts of worship music. Uh, transcend merely Twitter fights. You know what I mean? Where it's like someone will you know, say something uh, or quote a song, and then you have people griping about it on Twitter. I kind of want to see uh, more thoughtful and careful and generous discourse, I guess. So that was it for me. What about you, Colin?
0: Uh, I've answered this question before on the podcast, so I'll try to answer it in a different way. Uh, so the broad, the big answer, Jason, is... Uh, you know, I led worship for I don't know almost two decades. So you know, and as I've gotten older and had family and that sort of thing, it's just not really as much an option for me anymore. And so this this podcast provided an outlet. Mm-hmm. Worship leading, whether people like it or not, or whether whether and whether a worship leader likes it or not, has some pastoral aspects to it. The idea of choosing songs and um, you know guiding liturgy and all that sort of thing, and it doesn't matter. In many ways, what kind of church that's happening in? There's a pastoral aspect, and so this was just this podcast was just a way for me to keep engaging with that kind of element, like what you know the the, the examination of the, theology and worship, and um, taking care for the types of type of music that's being sung. I guess in the broader church, not necessarily my church, but just the broader church. And then the story that I'll just tell is um, it also. Was in part because I had a person that I wanted to do the podcast with. So when I first moved to the town that I live in now, um, I met this young kid, and when I first, a uh, college student, and when I first led worship at that church, I, it was just me and this kid, uh, this college student. And he had us doing this song where the lyric was, um, oh, Tyler, what was that song? Uh, a son versus the son. What was the name of that song?
2: Yes, it was um Sins Are Stones by John Mark McMillan. Yeah. By the blood of a son a is son. the lyric.
0: By the blood of a son I have the grave. that's right. And so, anyway, and this this kid who obviously it's given away now was Tyler. Um, we just we, we had a little conversation about that indefinite versus definite article, and I just remember thinking, oh, you know, this this guy is really interested in even something as small as an article and how that changes has theological mm. weight.
2: And I think some of that is also fascination with words and how they convey meaning, and yeah. so it's something incorporated, you know, mm. of course, into a lot of my life, but. Um, it it really does matter, I would say, uh, if you say, um, you know, Jason, in your case, oh, this is um, this is Judah, a son, or if you say this is yeah. Judah, the son, or if this is Judah, my son, like all three yeah. of those have different shades of meaning, and yeah, and uh, yeah, in that song, the lyric was, "By the blood of a son, I have overcome the grave," and so, um, I think that may have been one of the early yeah. songs. That or another John Mark McMillan song, the um, Sloppy uh, <laughs> Wet Kiss one. Yes, was one where I was like, Wow, do I do I really want to say this?" Uh, I I kind of get where it's going. I you know we've had conversations with people about whether creative license exists at all in this space, um, and I do think there's got to be room for some. If you're not just going to read scripture and set it to maybe set it to some music, um, then you have to make room for some creative license. Um, and if you're going to read scripture, then you have to read it in you know, Hebrew and Coin Greek and Aramaic because that's how it's uh written. So uh mm. you're stuck in some kind of middle ground no matter what yeah. you do.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Well thank you.
1: It's I really like what you're doing and I, I think it's great.
0: Thank you very much, Jason, for being willing to sit through an interview and
2: Yep. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Jason. Thank you. All
0: right. Thank you listeners as well for listening to this week's episode of the Worship Review. Next week, in fact, we will have JC Jason back to uh, review a song. And so pay attention to that. In the meantime, uh, check us out on Twitter. uh, Follow this podcast as well, anywhere that you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to tell your friends. Uh, We'll see you next time. Take care.
2: You've been listening to The Worship Review. Please subscribe to the podcast,
1: leave a comment, or email us at feedback at theworshipreview.com. We accept donations at anchor.fm slash theworshipreview and patreon.com
0: slash theworshipreview. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.